Well, last week, um, if you were here, hopefully you remember that I talked about commitment, how commitment is one of the, if not the highest expression of love. Commitment, whether it's in the natural, for example, to our spouses, we commitment, an expression of love for our spouse, commitment, expression of love to those that we're close to, our friends, our, our families, commitment to the Lord, most of all. Even as we receive communion, remembering what he accomplished for us, what it cost him, all out of love, desiring us to love him back. And the only love that we can offer him that's sufficient is really his own love being returned to him. And commitment is a high expression of that love and a commitment in every area of our lives, every area of our lives. So this morning, I'm going to share about confidence in God. I, I, my hope is, my prayer is, that as we become more confident in Him, it becomes much more, let's see, what's the right word? Let me just say it should become easier to be committed to Him. When our confidence in Him, who He is, what He's done, who He has declared us and caused us to be, there should be a confidence that rises up in us. So we're going to be looking at confidence in God. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to be preaching out of this section of Scripture, but I'd like you to turn to Psalms 118, if you have your Bibles. It won't be on the screen. And if you get to 118, the reason I'm having you turn there is kind of some interesting facts. And, you know, I don't know who thinks of doing these things and looks and checking these things out. I don't, but I'm glad somebody does. If you get to Psalms 118... You are exactly in the center chapter of the entire Bible. And if you look at Psalms 117, right before it, you'll notice there's only two verses. It's the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. And if you turn from 118 to 119, you'll see that it is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. That it is over... What is it, 100 and, somebody help me, 176, is it? 176 verses. If you want to memorize one, go with Psalm 117. I was going to impress you and tell you I memorized the whole chapter in the Bible and quote those two verses, but I ran out of time. So, 118, center of the Bible. And it's really interesting. That means that there's 594 verse or chapters before it and 594 chapters after it. And right in the midst of Psalms 118 is the middle verse in the whole Bible. Psalms 118, verse 8. And it's interesting when you look at that, that Psalms 118, verse 8 says this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in men. It's almost as if as you look at that, that there's 594 chapters that leads up to that particular verse. Better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in men. And then there's 594 chapters after that reaffirming that very truth, giving evidence throughout the rest of Scripture. Better to put your trust and confidence in God than it is to put it in men. What do you put your confidence in? Now, as Christians, we know, I think, the right answer should be, oh, I put my confidence in God, but my question would be, oh, really, do you? 
Do you really put your confidence in God? Or do you put your confidence in some other things? Maybe you put your confidence in your spouse. I hope you don't put your confidence in your pastor. I'd like a little, but not a lot. Do you put your confidence in your accomplishments or your best friend? Well, the answer should be no. Do you put your confidence in all of the things that you've been really good at, your skills, your gifts, your talents? Do you put all your confidence in your education or your wonderful wit? The answer should be no. Do you put your confidence in your cash flow, your credit cards, your fancy four-wheel drive pickup? The answer should be no. There is no person on this planet, there is nothing, no object in the world, there's no idea, there's no concept, there is no philosophy that you can put your confidence in that will not fail you. The only thing worthy of our confidence is Jesus Christ. So why do we struggle with it so much? Well, I think a lot of the times we struggle with that is because we're humans. And we're going to look into 1 John chapter 5, and part of me is reassured because what, what John is finding necessary to remind the, the church of is who God is. Because he knows at times we struggle with putting our confidence in God. In that case, you and I are normal. Maybe the only case. But we're normal. We struggle with that at times. We struggle with our salvation at times. I would guess that I am not the only one in here that has sat down and really analyzed my faith. And if I'm not careful, these things come in and like, what if, what if I'm really believing only a partial truth? What if I'm not really saved and there really is a God and a heaven and a hell? The what ifs start to creep in. I think that's normal. But I also think it's something the enemy would love to stir up in each one of us to destroy our confidence in God. The reality that he will not fail us. In John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 through 21. And when you look at the, the, this first John, if you, if you read first John, basically from chapter 1 right up to this point, he has been giving us truths about the Lord Jesus Christ that are designed to help us come to this place where we know that we know that we know what it, who He is, what is required to become saved, and that, in fact, you and I are saved. 1 John 5, verse 13. These things I have written. What things? Everything preceding this in the book of 1 John. It's only... Five chapters. Read the whole thing. He says, these things I've written you to who believe. And I think that's important. He has written this to believers. He understands that we wrestle and struggle with these things. So he's reminding us again, building up our confidence again. He says, I'm writing these things to all of you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You may want to write that scripture down. When someone comes to you and says, how do you know? Can you really know? I don't think you can really know until the very end. Boy, there's no 
comfort in that. There's no security in that. I don't want to go through life wondering, did I make it? Because as soon as I start thinking that way, it becomes about me and what I have done or will do or think I have to do. And it becomes a works type of thinking. We need to know that we know. And according to what John writes here, he says, everything I've written in this book up to this point and everything in this letter is so that you can know that you know that you have eternal life. And it's good to be reminded he's writing specifically to believers. He does doubt that we will, he doesn't doubt that we will have troubles, questions, struggles with this at times in our life. The reality is we don't have it all together all the time, do we? We sometimes think we've got to, but we don't. And if you think you do, you're deceived. You're believing a lie. But if you also feel condemned and discouraged, you're also believing a lie. The reality is we're not perfect. We're going to struggle with these things. John knew it, and he's reminding us. You know, as a pastor, and some of you have experienced this because of where you work, and because of family situations. But as a pastor, you, you sometimes get around death. Sometimes it's immediately after somebody's died. And every now and then, it's right at that moment or that hour where they are dying. Where they're leaving this life as we know it. And you know, and it's interesting. I, I'll never forget one time a, a guy who I knew well, I worked with at that time. His wife had cancer and, and was dying. And I remember he knew about my faith. He wasn't a Christian. And he says, Mike, I don't care what you say. Watching someone die, it's an ugly, 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 ugly ordeal. It was the worst experience of my life. It was ugly. And, of course, I'm not going to debate with a grieving husband. But I've also been around people where it's not like that at all. Somehow or other, there are people in that last hour of their life, they are at total peace. They are totally confident. There's no anxiety. Most of you know that um, Arnie Fredericks passed away recently from our body here. And most of you know, and I've shared a few things, that, that uh, his daughter Diane and I were with him that last hour and a half of his life. And it was one of those examples. Talk about someone who was perfectly at peace. It was amazing. Amen, Kathy. For those of you who don't know, that's his wife. He was so at peace. No anxiety. If it wouldn't have been for struggling to breathe under that mask, well, I can tell you what he was doing, and Diane can attest to it. He was tapping his feet and singing hymns as she was playing him on her telephone. That does not sound like someone who's filled with fear and anxiety. Totally at peace. As a matter of fact, no offense to any of us that are here that loved him, there was even a sense of anticipation. He was going home. And he knew he was going home. As a matter of fact, there was a time when the doctor was in there, I said to him, Arnie, do you understand this? because he had the do not resuscitate thing. I said, Arnie, do you understand this? That if you don't allow us to do anything more than what they're doing now, you're going to go home and be with the Lord real soon. 
And he said, yes, I know that. You know, Diane's a mess, and I'm pretending I'm not a mess. And I'm thinking, God, this is how I want to feel when it's time for me to go. When it's time for me to leave, this is how I want to go. I want to have this kind of peace. How does this happen? How does someone have that? Well, if you look at verse 13 again, notice, notice in verse 13, it says something that you can almost miss at the end of the verse. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you're going to have, not that you're going to enter into it when you die. You already have it. The moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit quickened your spirit, you came alive, and you have eternal life because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Arnie got it. He understood that. He knew that he was already living in that eternal life, not in the best environment. He knew he was going to a better place. As most of you heard the testimony, he reached out because he said he saw Jesus and he'd been blind for, what, seven, sixty years? He knew where he was going because he knew already that he had eternal life. It wasn't something he had to wonder about, whether he had it or not. That eternal life comes at conversion. You're a new creature in Christ. Peace of the Holy Spirit is there and available to us. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anxiety. We don't have to worry and wonder. John is saying, I'm telling you this stuff so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You might not even be able to explain it to someone who asked you. But you can say, you know what? I know because I know who Jesus is. I know because I already have eternal life. You just don't understand it yet. I know these things. To Arnie... And those of you who know him already know this. His faith wasn't some philosophy or intellectual thing or an idealistic thing. It was the real thing. It wasn't this concept that he was trying to understand. He had experienced the power and presence of Jesus Christ in his life for years and years and years. He knew about it. He had experienced it. He came to this place of peace in his life because his relationship with Jesus was very active and interactive. And because of that, he knew Jesus. He had peace. And this is what John is telling all of us, that we can all have that kind of peace. Man, alive. I, it's so, so not fun when you're the pastor and you're experiencing death with someone When no one knows the Lord, there's no hope. They grab onto a a Christian truth that there's eternal life and that they're in a better place and that they're in heaven. But the reality is they don't know Jesus. I understand they're looking for something to comfort them, but it's not a truth. They don't know Jesus. We can all know Jesus. We can all have an active and interactive relationship with him that brings us that kind of peace that we all desire. Arnie was confident in his death because he was confident in his life. He knew who his Savior was. He knew him well. Knew him well. And as you all know, that new Arnie, you knew 
He was blind. His wife was blind. They raised three wonderful daughters, has grandchildren. But his life was a challenge. Even though he knew Jesus that well, it was still a challenge. And in the midst of it, there was still peace. And that's what John is trying to tell believers. He says, I'm writing you to you believers that believe in the name of Jesus, that you can know that you have eternal life. And then in verse 14 and 15, he continues on trying to build the confidence of those receiving this letter, to build our confidence. I put a heading in my notes, the confidence in approaching God. A lot of us are almost afraid or feel unworthy to approach God. We have this misconception of who he is. You know, as his children, we somehow or other, if we buy into that at all, we somehow or other think he's a parent who does, is involved in child abuse. That he's going to beat on us and cause all these horrible things to come upon us. That's not the loving father that he is. And he says here in verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence which we have before him. He's saying, you guys can be this confident you can, before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Confident about approaching God, and specifically here he's talking about in prayer. That time of intimate communion, communication with our Heavenly Father. And it's interesting, the word there, that phrase, hears us, carries with it the meaning that he hears us in a favorable way. He hears us in a favorable way. And the, the real deep Greek meaning of the word that they use there, it's translated anything, means anything. That's what it means. So he is reminding us, you can have a confidence to approach your heavenly Father about anything, and he will hear you favorably. You mean he's going to hear me favorably even when I'm whining and complaining? Yeah. I can talk to him about anything even when I'm a little mad? Yeah. What if I'm mad at him? Well, yeah. He says anything. But he throws in a caveat that's really important. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked of him. And in there it says, anything according to his will. According to his will. He hears us. Too often or very often, a question that comes up when you get to this point in the discussion with someone is, how do I know what the will of God is? Anybody ever ask that? I mean, we act like it's rocket science or something. It's just not that hard. What is the will of God? When we ask according to his will, really what John is talking about, when we come to him with an attitude of submission and humility and ask in accordance with his will, can I complain to God? You bet I can. Because he's a heavenly father who will listen to me favorably and hear what I have to say. But I'm going with an attitude of humility and submission, not trying to convince him he's wrong and I'm right. Not trying to make him do things on my time schedule, my timetable. Not going to him like, I'm God and he's Mike. He'll listen to us. He wants to listen to us. If you're a parent, you know your kids come to you, you want them to come to you. And they can talk to you about anything. Anything. 
as long as we both understand that I'm the parent and they're my children. And they come with a submitted and humble spirit to me. Really, submission is the, the key to this whole verse. You know, on the one hand, I'm openly speaking my mind to God, but on the other hand, I'm not demanding, I'm not insisting. You know, I'm believing my ideas are better than his. We need to understand that submission to God comes over time. We're so good at letting the enemy beat us up or we beat ourselves up and because we're not there yet. You know, submission comes over time. As we begin to know him better, as our relationship with him is more active and interactive, as we're communicating with him, as we begin to see more and more and more who he is and what he's done, it just gets easier and easier to submit. You know, to submit to a new boss, well, hopefully you do it anyway. But at first it's a little bit challenging because you don't know where this person's coming from. You don't know if he really cares about you or the company or anything else or if all he wants is a paycheck. You don't know those things. But if you're around him a while, you know, all of a sudden you get more comfortable. You see their heart. You begin to understand where they're coming from. It gets easier and easier and easier to submit to that person. In a relationships, if you're in a position of authority in a relationship, if you are of a good heart and you're leading out of love, that person who's or persons that are to submit to you, it gets easier and easier. It's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. As we know him better, submission gets easier and easier, and we get better and better at it. That doesn't mean we take advantage of it and don't submit. That doesn't mean we nurture our rebellious spirit until we know him better. No. It means that we are surrendering more and more as we begin to understand and know him more and more. Practically, submission. If you want, want to know the will of God, a couple practical things. You've never heard this before, I am sure. Read the word. Read the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. We want to know the will of God. You know, when knowing His Word, it's, it's a practical, and again, it's a lifetime of work. The more you read it, the more you meditate on it, the more you pray it, you begin to understand it more and more, and all of a sudden, the will of God becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. I'm talking about the will of God in a general sense, not necessarily, what's the will of God for me tomorrow? But the amazing thing is, We also have the Holy Spirit. We have God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling in us. And as we get to know the Word of God better, we will become more and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice and His leading. And He will never lead us contrary to the Word of God. Never. As we get to hear His voice more, all of a sudden, we will get those more specific things in our life. We'll know the will of God for Mike personally. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to do this? And it grows because we have the Word in us and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the Scriptures. Boy, I've heard that so many times. I don't like to read the Bible because I don't understand it. Well, I don't understand it all either. But the Holy Spirit's our teacher. We just pray and ask Him to help us understand what we need to understand. And He will continue to reveal things to us. And as we do begin to understand it, he will also help us to apply it correctly in our life. Remember a few weeks ago, I said, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives us the will and the, the will and the ability to live the way the Lord wants us to. He gives me the desire and the ability. It takes a lot of pressure off of us as long as we are just submitted and humble and begin to know his voice. It's pretty simple. The more time you spend interacting with God in his presence, 
the better you're going to understand the voice of the Holy Spirit. You'll understand the will of God in your life. You'll understand it and be able to find peace in your life as we go through life. Man, oh man, the world's looking for peace. The world itself is in turmoil. And if we're not careful as Christians and all we hear is the turmoil nonstop, we start to lose our peace. Part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that peace that dwells in us in the Holy Spirit. We can have that peace in our daily life, but we also can have it when we're facing death. A peace. In verse 15, it talked about whenever we ask, we have it. And you could spend a lot of time on this. But as I read it, it's pretty straightforward. We know that he hears us, whatever we ask, and then what will we have the request when we've asked him? You ever wrestle with that? I do. John is trying to build our confidence in the Lord by telling us this truth. When I ask it, I have the answer. Do you ever answer something with a positive answer, but it takes a long time before it comes to pass in the natural? Hey, Dad, can we go on a vacation? Yes, we can. When are we going to go? 2021. You've got my answer. It's a done deal. But boy, oh boy, there's a lot of things that have to take place. We need to save some money. We need to plan. We need to get all this stuff together. There's many things. And a lot of times when we pray to God, it's the same thing, exactly the same thing. It says he hears us and we have our answer. But the fruition of that answer could take a long time because there could be a lot of things that have to happen, a lot of things that need to take place. We just need to be confident our Heavenly Father heard us. We've got an answer. Now we just wait till it's manifested, whatever it is. We don't like that in the flesh. I want it now, right now. You know, you ever have your children come to you and ask you a question, you give them the answer? It's not the one they wanted. And they come back to you again and again and again and again and again and again. It's the same answer. You know, God understands us and he loves us and he's patient and long-suffering with us. But if we start focusing on how come, why, why not, our faith starts to ebb. Our confidence in God starts to disappear. We have it. John is telling us, be confident. He's telling us really how things work spiritually. Get out of our natural way of thinking. It's how it works spiritually. In verses 16 and 17, he gives an example of praying in confidence. And this verse can really confuse you and cause all kinds of uh, rabbit trails to be necessary, but we're going to avoid them all. It says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask that God will give, give him life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that I should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. So don't even get hung up on the sin that leads to death, okay? That can be consume you here, and you can just go crazy. But here, simple. The sin that leads to death is rejecting Jesus Christ. You reject Jesus Christ. Remember, he's writing to believers. He's saying, pray for your brothers. If you see him sin, we're supposed to pray for one another. And the promise is, he's going to give them life. 
It may take a while before we see the, 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 the benefits of that prayer in somebody's life. But if we're praying for believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, which we're told to do, believe it's going to happen. Believe it. And why would we pray for those that have rejected Christ if we're talking to, about our believers? It just doesn't make sense. So don't let that part of it mess with you and get you all distracted here. But John is re- recognizing, and, and again, it's reassuring. He, re- he recognizes believers are going to sin. You're not perfect, neither am I. He recognizes that fact. And we're to pray for each other that we would have that overcoming spirit to overcome our sin. And in John, 1 John verse uh, 18, chapter 5, he goes, and again, all this is just reaffirming the confidence we have. He says, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him. He who is born of God keeps him. The evil one does not touch him. We know what we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's not saying we never sin. What it's saying is, and really the message here is, when we get born again, we come and become a new creation in Christ. We begin to realize that the, this is not our home. There's, I can't explain it. I don't know that we can understand it this side of heaven. But there's a transformation that takes place. It's like we're, we're living here in the world, but we're in another domain, another realm. And what he's saying, you're protected. You've went from darkness into light, but we're surrounded by the darkness. But no, you're the light. The light of Christ lives in us. And he's reaffirming that we can have this kind of confidence that though we live in the world, that there's darkness everywhere, we're safe. We're safe. Keep our eye on Christ. We can be confident that the evil one can't have us. He'll bother the tar out of us, no doubt about it. And as we give him more room, he'll take, try to take more ground. But the reality is we are a new creature in Christ. We've been taken to this new realm even though we live here on earth. In verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may, that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, the eternal life. My paraphrase is, Jesus came so you could know that you know. That's easy. He came so you can know that you know. He came, the incarnation, him coming in the flesh, was that we could know that he is the true God, the one true God. And as I said earlier, that's why it's hard for me to explain. Mike, how do you know that you know? Well, because it tells me here. No, how do you know that it knows? How do you know you can trust that? Because. I know that I know. Jesus came, and now he's revealed it to me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I know that I know. It's one of those things we can't explain to an unbeliever. We can't explain it. We can show them the truth, but what we really need to do is show them the love of Jesus. And they're going to begin to know that, you know, there's something about this person who's different. But my biggest, biggest issue here for us is to understand you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. That's John's message. We don't have to believe the lies of the devil. We sang, and God was really moving. I hope that you were receiving these things that we're in bondage with, these chains, these shackles that we have. Even as Christians, we have them. 
these oppressive things, depression, my fears of rejection and anxiety and worry, blah, 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 all that stuff. He said, we don't have to let them keep us bound because we have been delivered and set free completely. I know that I know that I know. And that's what John's message is. Confidence in who Christ is. Confidence in the one that we believe in is Jesus Christ. He is the one true God. And that's all he's telling us over and over throughout the whole book and then really reiterating it here. To him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We started the message by looking at Psalms 118, verse 8. It's better to trust in God and not put any confidence in man. We're so quick to look to substitutes. We can say our confidence is in him alone. Our trust is completely in him. But when something happens, where do we go first? Other things can come second, third, fourth, and fifth, but where do we go first? Is our confidence really in God? John's telling us, yes, you can know that you know your confidence can be in him. You already possess eternal life if you've been saved. John knows it's hard. You and I know it's hard to live this way, to remain confident like this. But he's reminding us, and that's one of the things we can do with each other is remind one another, build up one another, build up the body of Christ. Keep that confidence high. We can have a peace and a confidence no matter what the circumstance, whatever you're going through, peace and confidence. The kind of peace and confidence you can have even when you're on your deathbed getting ready to leave this earth. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you that your word is true. Your Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus came as the truth. And Lord, that he will give us and the Holy Spirit will reveal to us the reality that Jesus is the one true God and that our confidence is in him and it's rightly placed when we put it in him. Those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior have eternal life, the promise of being in your presence forever. God, that though we live in this world of darkness all around us, we have been transferred to the kingdom of light. God, I pray that in those difficult times as we are part of the body of Christ, we can edify and build up and encourage one another. God, that we would, by your grace, be vulnerable and transparent enough to just reach out to those that love us and love you. God, I pray that you would continue in each one of our lives to grow that confidence in us by your Holy Spirit, continuing to reveal the word to us, reveal the truth to us, help us to apply it in our lives. God, and I ask this, that we would bring glory and honor to you in the advancing of your kingdom, your will on earth for each one of us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that we're going to have as individuals even this week, to share the confident hope that we have in Jesus Christ with somebody who's looking for hope. God, I pray for those divine appointments. I pray you give us the the eyes to see and, and the words to speak when they arrive. I pray you watch over us this week. 
Keep us safe. Help us to glorify you in everything we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.